I'm Katie Bennett-Stenton, a senior B2B marketer with 20 years experience across the UK, United States and Asia Pacific. Last year, I was fortunate to spend three months with Deloitte in Chicago. During that time, I was delighted to have the opportunity to spend time with a number of global experts. Throughout that period, I interviewed a range of leaders and shared their thought-provoking, relevant and influential takeaways weekly. Now that I'm back in Melbourne, the Katie Talks conversation with influencers continues. And today's is fantastic. In, in framing it up, I, I read a great quote recently that today's MI6 chief has revealed that he searched specifically for recruits who do not shout loud and show off, but have had to fight to get on in life. And I feel that that frames today's influencer really, really nicely. Nagumi Miki is the founder of Quietly Powerful. She's an author, a speaker, and a facilitator in leadership, culture, and diversity. Megumi, welcome. Thank you, Katie. It's lovely to be here. It's great to be speaking to you today. I'm really looking forward to this uh, to this discussion. Before we get underway, Megumi, perhaps you could just share a little bit about your background, please. Sure. Um, I am Japanese by background, in case people don't uh, realise from my name, and uh, I am Australian though, uh, as I'm sure people can hear in my accent, um, but I have to say my uh, taste buds are still very Japanese, but apart from that I'm very Australian. And, uh, I have um, been working in Australia uh, for, oh, I don't know, 20 odd years now, it's a bit scary to say, but my career has been spanning across management consulting consulting to begin with. Uh, I worked in strategy consulting for quite some time in um, uh, Anderson Consulting in the old days, now called Accenture. Uh, I also worked at ANZ doing cultural change work uh, as an internal facilitator and consultant, um, which was a fantastic period of time. Uh, and then I also worked at NAB and some other smaller firms. And then now for the last seven years, I've been working uh, as an uh, independent consultant, so with my own business, and Quietly Powerful is one part of that. Fantastic. Thanks, Megumi. The, the title of your first book is Start Inspiring, Stop Driving. I'm interested to hear more about that. We hear lots about driving initiatives at work, drive change, mm. drive culture, mm. drive results. We hear it every day. Mm. Uh, mm. I'm interested to understand more. Are we in a transition? Tell me, talk, talk, me, talk me through this. Sure. Um, I just thought about this whole word drive and uh, I think we just use it as a habit but also with a bit of an energy. Like if you think about the word drive, do you, do you get a sense that it's like pushing and you're in charge and, and that kind of thing? Do you, do you get that sense? Yeah, yes, I would say yeah, I do. Yeah. So, so I, I thought when, when I think about the word drive, like even driving, mm. you know, you drive a car and, and the more you do the driving, the more passengers you create is kind of the, the image that I had. And if you're trying to deliver a result or um, create some change and you're creating more passengers, my concern is that people aren't really going to be taking ownership and taking initiative to create that result or the change. So um, so that's what I was trying to challenge, that when leaders are at the front and trying to drive change and drive everything, then um, you're not really instilling ownership in people and creating what you really want is everybody taking ownership and, and 
driving together, if you like. So uh, I want the teams to be driving it, not not the leader. So that's why I was thinking if you can start te- start inspiring teams to to take that ownership, that would be a much better approach to um, delivering results and change. Well, and it, it sounds like from what you're talking about, this is um, a a way of working that that has everybody having more ownership with something that is with a strategy or something that's being delivered rather than one person Mm. with overall responsibility? Yeah, well, you can still have the responsibility, but if you are the one directing and telling people what to do, then I don't think you get the best results. And um, yeah, as as I said, ownership is a key element of change. And uh, yeah, you can't keep on driving. You can't tell people to take ownership, I don't think, because ownership is yeah. a feeling. <laughs> you can you can tell them all you like, but uh, you know, if they don't feel like they can own it, then uh, then that doesn't happen. It's it's such an interesting and and confronting concept, Megumi, because you know, as as I, as I said when I was sort of asking the questions, drive is just a word we we hear used in in so many different contexts, both professionally and and personally. Yeah. So you know, hear, hearing that description sort of caused me to really sit back and and sort of think quite deeply about about yeah. this this language that we use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's a habit in a way that like everybody uses it, like you said. Mm. And so we don't really think about the, not just the meaning behind it, but the energy that comes with that word. And that's what I was trying to change and uh, challenge. Because inspiring to me has a much more pull rather than a push to it. And so people want to to create the change or deliver results rather than somebody telling you to. And I think that's a very different energy. I think I think you're absolutely right. I like I I think that's that's really poignant. I'm, I'm really pleased to be exploring this issue as as someone who is definitely an extrovert. I'm interested to understand more about your background and and how you got to where you are. Sure. Um, so the whole idea of quietly powerful came about one because of course I'm an introvert, but also I've always been a quieter child anyway uh, amongst Japanese people and and you can imagine Japanese people are generally slightly quieter than Western people. Um, So uh, yeah I was always told that I was this quiet child and I'm the the, uh, baby of the family, I'm the younger of two sisters and um, yeah my mum used to talk on my behalf because I wouldn't say things (laughs) and and that was fine for me, it was easy for me because uh, you know, I I just sat back and you know watched everybody else talk. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I suppose as I grew up and went into uh, went into working life, that didn't work so well for me. So I I did realise that I needed to be a little bit more vocal. And starting off in management consulting was probably a bit of a shock to the system because everybody looked really confident sure. and they were very vocal, whether they were you know new into the organisation or new to clients. He almost had to have that that uh, air of confidence, and mm-hmm. and I certainly didn't feel that way. <laughs> and uh, I, I suppose I I learnt to get by, and um, you know I I tried to learn everything I can, so I knew what I was talking about. Um, although as a twenty-something-year-old, I, I always felt like I didn't know enough. Um, sure. So uh, yeah, it was it was tough going, but uh, you know I I did okay, but I I just burnt myself out actually. 
And um, so after finishing up with consulting, I moved on to uh, ANZ and ANZ was a really great place to be in that I first started off in finance and um, performance analysis type of area, Mm -hmm. um, which is really where my my expertise was, you know, in the strategy and performance analysis type of area. They're very analytical. But then while I was there, ANZ was going through a major cultural change program called Breakout. And it was very well known at the time. Uh, This was in the early 2000s. And I went to this three-day workshop with the Breakout team uh, or the Breakout program. And I was just blown away by what I didn't know. (laughs) And and what I didn't know was about the human side of business um, and also the personal development that's required to be a good leader and um, and to create a great culture in organizations. So, so I was just blown away and decided that I really want to invest in that side for myself personally. But then about a month after I went on the workshop, they advertised for internal facilitators to join the team. And I said, oh, me, me, me. So I put my hand up. And even though I had no background in it, I, I had a go at applying and um, I still pinched myself. I, I managed to get uh, get appointed into the internal facilitator role. So so that was the beginning of my leadership and culture of work and training and, and learning, um, which was fantastic. That, so so from there, yeah, I, I moved into doing leadership and culture work and uh, and I spent seven or eight years at ANZ learning about all of this uh, and since then, I've been working in that field, working at NAB and then doing my own thing. That's so interesting. I mean, the, you know, the opportunity to have a three-day training program and, and for that to significantly reframe many elements of how you thought about, well, yourself and, mm. and your profession such that it set mm. you up for, a, well, a, another career or a real change in focus is, is really yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a 180-degree turn in my career. And um, and it was actually a very difficult transition in the sense that, you know, I didn't really have a background in it, so I had to learn from scratch. But uh, it was so rewarding. It was hard, but it was very rewarding. <laughs> but the other thing is it was hard because the people who were appointed as the internal facilitators, most of them were extroverts. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it was really tough going for me to really know how to be as a leadership consultant and facilitator without too many models around me. So so in some ways, that was um, uh, part of my uh, reasoning behind doing Quietly Powerful as well, because I, I didn't see enough role models who I could emulate. And... Um, and because I struggled, I just thought if I can share some of my learnings, that might help other people as well. So, um, yeah, that's certainly the background to the Quietly Powerful work too. I, I find that so interesting. When when we spoke ahead of recording, you, you talked about um, a really powerful moment that that you still reflect back on when when mm. you were presenting and and when a when a colleague mm. came up and talked to you I'd, I'd love it if you'd be happy to share that story yeah 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 so the the insight really came and and I suppose that was the the first seed of thinking I really need to work on this this idea called quietly powerful and that was when I um this was 
quite a bit after. So uh, after I'd learnt all the facilitation, so I was I was reasonable at it already. But I was co-facilitating with a colleague who was the opposite end of myself in terms of energy and extroversion. Um, so he's a fantastic facilitator who's like a uh, you know the one with the gift of the gab and he's yeah. very entertaining and he's got a big energy and he can engage a group in an instant that kind of person and um, and he was kicking off the workshop and it was very um, engaging and people were laughing in the first two seconds and it was you know it was a great start to the workshop and um, and I was enjoying it until it got a little bit closer to the time that it was my turn to stand up and do my bit. Mm-hmm. I, I was starting to have a little voice in my head going, oh, my God, these people are so engaged and laughing and I don't do that sort of thing. I'm not as funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't engage people like he does. And, you know, what if they disengage and what if they get bored with me? <laughs> so I was having all these little chatters in my head and getting a bit concerned and... Um, and and I got up and did my thing and it was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. But while I uh, while we went into the break, I had a person who I knew quite well in the group and she came up to me during the break and said, Megumi, you're not quite yourself. What's going on? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I explained to her what was going on with this internal dialogue I was having. And, um, and she just looked at me in the face and said to me, oh, Megumi, just you know stop having those comparison chatters because the fact that the two of you are so different is what brings value to the group you know <laughs> just uh, stop stop telling yourself that you know you should be like him and so that was a real if you like a smack in the face in that I, I intellectually knew that yes but it was really that moment that somebody else told me and also told me the impact of myself comparing with other people that really got me thinking and feeling that I needed to work on appreciating what I brought that was different to other people so that was a yeah real penny dropping moment for me Uh, I I, I I love hearing stories like this I mean that was that was a good few years ago and the fact that Mm. you you know you can still recount it in in such vivid detail is is quite extraordinary Uh, I mean this is is this imposter syndrome that we're talking about? Do you think is there an element of that? There was definitely an element of that, um, and, and imposter syndrome's been around for a long time for me. Like even in the strategy consulting days, I think I mentioned earlier. That, yeah. You know, I didn't feel like I knew enough, and I didn't feel like I was good enough. Um, and and being a younger person in my twenties and meeting clients who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s and, you know, mostly male, of course, yes, of course. <laughs> was uh, was not an easy thing to do because I always thought that I might get found out I don't know anything. So so that was around all the time. Oh. Um, so I, I worked extra hard to make sure that I knew my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in this field of leadership consulting and facilitation, um, I as as hard as I worked, I couldn't become an extrovert. So well, no, it's not who you are. It wasn't really one that I Mm. could. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't copy somebody and become them. Yeah. So um, and and even though at times I really tried, when I did, people would tell me that I was I wasn't being myself. So I couldn't win. (laughs) I felt like I needed to be like them, but I, I um I couldn't, and even when I tried, I people thought that I was faking it. So, yeah, I couldn't win. 
Well, thank thank goodness you you settled upon the, the sort of career where you can be completely authentic and and still add massive value to people's lives. Yeah, yeah. Well, lucky I realised, but it took me very long time to realize though so yeah so, which sure. is why I suppose I'm wanting to share with people you know don't wait till you're 40 something to realize that you can be yourself <laughs> uh, oh, I mean there's a lot of talk about authenticity these days but I think yeah. this is a really interesting and different slant on that uh, compared to what I have heard or read about before so I'm really grateful with mm-hmm. you with you sharing your um, your you know your extensive expertise around this. Um, Megumi, you've had a really interesting career, which, as you mentioned earlier, included some time with Anderson Consulting and where Mm. ultimately you experienced burnout. And Mm. burnout is something that comes up time and again in my podcasts. Mm. It's it's Mm. something that, that I've experienced and a number of my interviewees have. And I get a lot of feedback from people, from listeners, keen to talk about it some more and in hushed tones they 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 almost whisper about it because they it it seems that there's this real taboo in in talking about it i'd love to hear mm-hmm. about a little bit more about your experience and and i guess even more mm-hmm. critically what you learned as a result of that mm-hmm. you know I, I read recently that the world health organization has now put it into yes. Um, one of their documents yes. is an official problem. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's a serious issue. It is. And, um, yeah, I uh, I suppose for me the burnout came from a number of sources and I suppose one of them was the imposter syndrome that we mm-hmm. just talked about, sure. um, that I felt like I really wasn't good enough and didn't know enough and therefore I worked so hard to, to know what I could. and um, And that meant putting in a lot very long hours Mm -hmm. and I mean at times I remember one project uh, it was one of my favorite projects uh, so it was kind of a mix of I really wanted to do well and as well as an imposter syndrome combined together so that's a recipe for burnout Um, but um, it was one of those projects that I really enjoyed and I liked the client and I really wanted to do my best and so I worked so hard uh, where I would work till like two or three in the morning and my client was an early starter so we'd have meetings at 6 30 oh. in the morning so it was just crazy I had, you know two or three hours of sleep if that uh, a night at times and um yeah and, and I was still in my 20s so obviously I could recover a lot better than I could mm. now but Still, I found that I just burnt out. So the moment that I realized I burnt out was when I was working on a project in Brisbane and I had a bit of a cold and and I used to get colds every month, every two months or so. So that was a sign as well. Mm -hmm. But in Brisbane, I was doing this project. I was working late and I had a team um, who was also working uh, really long hours. Um, But there was a final presentation I was about to do to the client and the night, the day before the presentation, I lost my voice. Oh. And I was thinking, oh right. no, I have to present tomorrow and I don't have a voice. So, um, so that night I was just in tears going, this is not working for mm-hmm. me. And, uh, you know, I just felt that I, I really seriously burnt out. So I suppose the lesson that I took away from that is, um, one, it's, 
it's not worth that. Yes. Um, you know, when you, if you can't look after yourself, if you don't look after yourself, you can't do the things that you want to do. So I wanted to do a good job of that client presentation, but obviously it was very difficult to do. Sure. Um, so I think it's that whole thing about, um, you know, those masks on planes, you know, help yep. yourself first before yeah. you can help other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that was probably one big lesson for me. So um, I, I do prioritize looking after myself more now okay so um, yeah so that's certainly been something that has uh has been a lesson for me yeah. well I I certainly relate to that I uh, for a long time would would get up early at sort of five thirty six and and go for a run you know get little people off to school and daycare work a big job mm. come home mm. and mm. burn the candle well and truly at both ends with a you know stressful job and busy life and ended up mm. having a virus that was very similar to chronic fatigue and basically spent three months oh, in bed okay. and mm. that was really confronting because before that I had considered myself to be entirely bulletproof you know people had often yeah. commented on my being high energy and I think I previously equated that to working working all hours of the day and you know being Mm. in the condition where I could run a half marathon and being Mm. someone who would enjoy some some lovely dinners with people and Mm. it it made Mm. me fundamentally reassess the way that Mm. um that I look after myself and you know I've, Mm. I've made a whole lot of changes from that, yeah, but it's fantastic. surprising how many yeah. people have had similar um, similar experiences. Yeah, yeah, and and in some ways, until you experience that that burnout or at least signs of burnout, it's it's hard to realise that you know you're not invincible. Yes. Yes, it's, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you're younger too. When you're in your twenties, yeah, indeed, thirties, you think that you can keep going. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I feel mm, like I, mm. that's something I could um, talk ad nauseum about. Uh, yes, long, yeah, yeah, long for sure. learning curve. Yeah, um, and the other thing too with the whole burnout thing, um, as because it's become such an issue, um, that's one of the things that I talk about with quietly powerful too. It, in that it's not just about introverts it's actually everybody needs some quiet and peace and quiet in their lives that yes. they have they have some you know and I, I'm sure yourself as an extrovert you like to socialize and everything else but you do need some time on your own and and I think that is something that we might be overlooking a bit mm-hmm. that um, you know we, we all say that human beings are social beings and I, I agree with that but I think we human beings are also solid solitary as well that we need bit of both that uh, socializing and solitude I I would agree with that and you know from a personal perspective I'm finding more and more that it's that it's that quiet time on my own mm. that that mm. also helps to to re-energize me I, I mean I certainly yeah. get energy from being around other people but but increasingly I do find it's that quiet reflective mm. downtime that is really mm. critical yeah well it, that, there are some research to say that your brain your brain cells regenerate in quiet time so you do mm. need solitude okay. like the human brain actually needs it so um, yeah so meditation certainly been part of my my life since uh, doing all the leadership work. So I've been meditating probably now for 18 years. Wow, and, okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely essential for me. Otherwise, I don't function properly. 
So interesting how we all have this um, journey learning different elements about what works well for us. Mm, mm, definitely. When, yeah. when you moved to, to ANZ and started focusing a lot more around personal leadership and cultural change, mm. it, it sounds like you, you had a lot of change in terms of how you, you thought about your, your career and, and professional life. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, so when I went to this three-day workshop that I mentioned earlier, uh, what was very obvious to me was that I was having a career and um, doing strategy and finance and all of those things because I thought that was the right thing to do based on other people's expectations. Mm-hmm. So that was a big, big insight for me. And in fact, it was quite an emotional insight for me that I was running my life based on other people's expectations. Um, I had completely, what I realized was I had completely disconnected from what I loved and I was passionate about. And so when I found it, it was like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> I can't believe I found what I'm passionate about. Um, so it was... Um, yeah, it was such an eye-opener to be able to commit myself fully into something that I really believed in, that's something that I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. And it was about uh, it was about connecting with myself, but it, it was also helping other people to connect with themselves as well. And I think that's been very much my journey. So it, it wasn't just about connecting with the work that I love, yes. but also just connecting with myself and, and, and who I am. So so that's been pretty much my life and career journey. So, so I do um, uh, acknowledge and appreciate the time I had at ANZ because that was really the beginnings of it. That's so interesting. I recently recorded a podcast um, with Andy Evans, who's the CEO of Star of the South, who are putting together Australia's first offshore wind farm. So slightly Mm. different realm to you, but he is Mm. a reformed lawyer and talked quite quite a bit about the fact that, you know, he'd studied law, got Mm. to his mid to late 30s, not happy, not enjoying career, mm. but because of mm. external expectations, other people's expectations mm. ploughed on and, and continued with it and then sort of got to this point where he had an epiphany and thought, well, why am I doing mm. this? This does not make yeah. me happy. And yes. it's it's so inspiring to to hear people like the both of you talk about that and and just sort of you know having this really inward focus about what makes you happy and then Mm. you know changing professional lives and focus such that you are focusing on what what and and what Mm. you what you love doing Mm, mm. yeah no it was um it was an amazing time and I did have my fears of course because um, you know it was an area that I wasn't really familiar with I I only had a, a sense of it and um, and also at the time I was working in ANZ in the finance and performance analysis area, and um, and some of the people in there were going saying to me like, oh, why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> and and even at the time I remember one of the one of the senior people in the organisation said, oh well you're about to get a promotion, what are you doing? <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Well. <laughs> And I, and, I, and I did toss back and forth and I, I spoke to lots and lots of different people. And, uh, yeah, in the end, I just said, no, just you need to listen to yourself. Sure. And, and that was a 
yeah, and that was, I, I feel really proud that I did <laughs> because I, I, what I realised was until then I was just listening to everybody else and not myself. Oh, well, I think I think everybody does that. Well, no, the mm. uh, many people or the majority of people do do mm-hmm. do that and and if you're talking mm-hmm. to people who had a similar background to you then then that's what I suppose that's what they know and what they are familiar with so if you're looking to sort of buck the trend and move in a different direction there's probably an element yeah. of that that's a bit confronting and and yeah. unfamiliar for them too huh yeah yeah absolutely absolutely interesting Megumi, throughout the period you mentioned that you didn't fit the perfect model and you know earlier in your career that you needed or that you were behaving or, or needing to work in a way that was a bit inauthentic uh, yeah. and as a bit less of an introvert, but that you now yeah. think quite differently. I'd love if yeah. you could talk us through that in a little bit more detail, please. Sure, yeah. So I suppose when you say the perfect model, that it can be in different contexts. So it could be the perfect consultant or what what's perceived as the perfect consultant that looks really confident and, you know, at times arrogant, I find. <laughs> um, sure. Which, which, which didn't sit well with me. Um, the, the, the other thing is uh, leaders as well. Generally speaking, we see leaders who are confident looking and outspoken and very articulate and, and all of that. Um, so whichever way I looked, I felt like I didn't quite fit that model. Um, also in facilitation as well, as I said, I had all these extrovert mm. colleagues who were very entertaining and, and um, you know, very engaging in a in a different way to me. So it took me a while to really find or work out what my model was. And, um, oh. and it's not just about being an introvert either. It's also about you know things like me uh, being the only Asian woman in uh, in a con- in a business context, for example. You know, I just didn't fit. So oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> there was lots of things that I felt like I was in the minority all the time. So um, so I think it was difficult to just find my way, my my authentic way. And uh, as I said earlier, at times when I tried to fit in, people would pick up the fact that I wasn't being authentic. So so it was a difficult time. Um, but I think as I moved towards working on Quietly Powerful, I started to really think about that. And it was soon after when I had that uh, penny dropping moment that I shared. Mm. And um, I started to think, well, what do I need to do to really understand what I bring and what's different and what's uniquely valuable about the way that I do things yes and it's in the context of facilitation it's in the context of leadership it's even in presenting so uh, I did have a incident where I I presented to quite a large audience it was probably about 70 or 80 senior leaders and um, and it was quite a surprise because I at that time, I was thinking, you know, how, how can I bring my, more of my approach to presenting? Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the things that I tend to do because I don't like being the centre of attention is that I involve the group a lot more than what I've seen other people do. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I, I toss questions over to them. I get them talking to each other and those sort of things. And uh, it is partially because I don't like being a centre of attention the whole time. I find that exhausting. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, but also because I do like hearing from other people as well. 
And um, and something that happened after I presented to the group was the person who brought me in, she said to me, oh gosh, Megumi, you were so different, like opposite ends to the person that we had before. And, you know, they have these leadership forums every yeah. month or so. Uh-huh. And, and she said it was uh, very, very different and very, very engaging because you were so different and, and she really appreciated it. And um, and so, yeah, I, I just thought, wow, it's working. <laughs> you know, I did my own thing. Damn it, look at me. Yeah. I have a hell of a lot of value to add, but just in yeah, a different approach. Yeah so, yeah, so that was a real affirmation or um, yeah, positive reinforcement for me oh. because I was consciously thinking about how can I bring more of myself. So, sure. so that was really helpful to start to build up my confidence in in working my own way and uh and and i i started doing it more and more and i got better and better feedback (laughs) (laughs) that's i i just i love that story i mean it's it's also you know if i think about great presenters i've seen a lot of them are really good at involving the audience you know albeit perhaps for a variety of reasons you know maybe maybe more of them are you know introvert than then perhaps might might be might be obvious, but it's it's just so inspiring hearing the sort of way that you you know if I can say this without sounding remotely condescending that you blossomed and increasingly found ways to 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 present in mm. in a way that you were comfortable with and played to your strengths. Mm, mm. Yeah, definitely. No, and it, uh, blossom, blossomed is a nice word. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I don't want that to sound condescending, but it is the first word that sort of springs to mind. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> talking about all these fabulous awakenings and becoming more, yeah. um, more, more confident with what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you're clearly so passionate about what you're doing now, and and you love the content and the work. But I have to say, it seems deeply ironic that it means you're up in front of people presenting. Oh, I know. <laughs> I actually say that to people. <laughs> I say that I, so I don't like being the centre of attention. What on earth am I doing standing in front of hundreds of people? <laughs> but, it, uh, but I think the reason behind that, and, and I do talk about this in the work of Quietly Powerful, is that even if you don't like doing certain things or you're not comfortable with certain things you can actually do it when there's a purpose behind it sure and 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 so I think that's you know you picked up on my passion so that's Mm. where it comes from and because I'm passionate I will go beyond what I'm comfortable with or beyond something that I might normally uh, do and there's, there's again there's theories behind that Uh, psychologists talk about what's called the free trait theory and and that talks about when you are passionate, when you are committed to something bigger than yourself, you can absolutely do things that are out of your character or, you know, out of your natural style, if you like. Oh, I'm going to do a bit of research on that. That sounds really interesting. Mm, mm. It was free um, trait. Free, free trait. trait theory. I think it was Dr. Brian Little from memory. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So he does a he does a TED talk, and he's actually a a very shy introvert uh, professor or, or lecturer. And okay. uh, he said that when he goes into lecturing things, um, he he gets very animated because again he's very passionate about the topic. Mm, that's I'm I'm going to go check him out. He sounds really interesting. Mm. There, Megumi, there are different reasons that people can be quiet. What, what are some, what are some of the other reasons? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, I, I find that people 
equate introversion with quiet and that's a little bit limiting that's just okay. one, one of the reasons um, so of course you can be quiet because you're introvert but the whole thing about introversion that gets misunderstood is that uh, introversion is about where you get your energy so you get your energy from being on your own and being with your thoughts mm -hmm. uh, versus extroverts get energy from being with other people so um, that doesn't necessarily equate to being quiet all the time in that I know lots of introvert presenters professional uh, speakers comedians uh, actors you know all those people yeah. who can be highly gregarious in front of a group so it's not it's not just that um, there's other reasons too, like um, people who are very agreeable. So when you look at personality traits, um, you know people who are very accommodating and agreeable? Yes. So they they don't like conflict. So they like to make sure everybody's happy. So they can go quiet because they don't want to disagree with people in front of a group. So, okay. or, or they just don't, they just avoid the conflict. So they just don't speak up about things. So that can be another reason. Mm -hmm. um, another reason could be that they're quite uh, anxious. So um, again, there's a personality trait that talks about uh, high emotionality or neuroticism is the, one of the psychology <laughs> terms that they talk about. Um, <laughs> I, I suppose I don't use that terminology because it doesn't sound too good. No, but no. It, it's just um, high, high emotionality is just about how intensely you feel situations or uh, situations that are around you it's not so much how much you express it okay. but it's how much in how intensely you feel so you can be a very quiet highly in, intensely feeling person and and that's often where you find people looking calm on the outside but they're absolutely stressed out on the inside sure. and there's lots and lots of people like that yes um so that 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 anxiety or that stress could cause people to go quiet because you know they're anxious about what other people might think or they might uh, be really anxious about saying the wrong thing um, so there's, uh, there's there's another personality trait that can contribute to being quieter mm -hmm. but there's lots of other reasons too like just upbringing so you know having brought up being brought up in a Japanese uh, parents and Japanese I did go to Japanese school for a little while um, that can have a, an impact in terms of how you're supposed to behave yes. so in a Japanese culture you're not supposed to disagree with the teachers or you know raise your hand and say things you're mm -hmm. supposed to remain quiet and you know that's supposed to be how students are and and you're not supposed to argue with your boss or disagree with sure. your boss so again that could lead to people being quieter and I know lots of not just Japanese but other Asian cultures are the yeah. same well and I know in a, a Aboriginal culture it's disrespectful mm. to look somebody in the eye and if you think about mm -hmm. the, the Western philosophy if if you're not looking someone in the eye when you're you know talking about something you can appear to be a bit shifty or perhaps not telling the truth yeah or, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, I mean that is one other example that comes to mind yeah absolutely absolutely so so that upbringing can have an impact and then I was talking about this Asian culture cultural context and um, in, in one of the breakfasts and one of the people raised their hand and said oh well, it's not just a cultural thing it's also a religious thing. I'm going, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> and this person talked about, well, I was brought up a Catholic. And to be a really good Catholic girl, you had to be mild and meek and not say things. Mm. And so, so that was another one that came up. So, again, it's upbringing and how you've sure. been conditioned yes. and brought up. Um, and then the final thing, too, that I find interesting that happens is 
power dynamics in any context. So I'm sure you've seen in meetings when there's somebody really senior in a group that other people go quiet. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have you noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> and, they, yeah. and they often look at that senior person to say something. And and when people do speak, they'll say things that they that, that senior person might want to hear. And uh, and that's not very helpful, but it, it does happen. It does. And so, yeah. And so when people go quiet, it's not necessarily that they're, they're naturally quiet, that they just go quiet because uh, either out of respect or out of fear that they might get judged. <laughs> and, so, um, and, and even if there's not a senior person, the other times that you find this power dynamic is if you're, say, the only person with a certain idea, um, that can cause people to go quiet and go in hiding, if you like, yeah. because it's too dangerous to bring up a topic that's, that's counter to what everybody else believes. Which goes against the grain of why one of the reasons why diversity is so important. Mm, mm, definitely, but it's hard to achieve as well. So, yeah, in that context of diversity, what what I found interesting too, like um, uh, you know, the whole debate about marriage equality back in, was it yes. last year? Um, yes. And you know, I'm, I'm really yeah. pleased that that happened, and I love the fact that mm-hmm. we're, we're appreciating. Yeah, so I, I'm more of that, that thought. But I, I was thinking 40% of Australians disagree with it. And mm. imagine if we're having a conversation. So, you know, you obviously agree, I obviously agree. Mm-hmm. And let's say if we had a bunch of people who agree with marriage equality. And imagine if somebody walked in who's on the 40% side. Yeah, how comfortable uh, It would be, be really difficult. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, would be, it would be really difficult. So, so I just think. The challenge is that that power dynamic, when you're in the mainstream, it's really easy to talk. But when you're in the minority in any context, yes, it's really, really difficult to speak up. So, yeah, so there, uh, there are all the various reasons. It's quite complex. I it, think. it is quite complex. You've, you've, you've certainly given me a, an enormous amount of food for thought there. Mm, now, Megumi, yeah. before we finish up, we mm. need to talk about your new book. I know that you are spending the next two or three weeks madly off all the final little pieces. Talk to us yes. about talk to us about your new book, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is uh, it is a book on quietly powerful. So I've already been talking about quietly powerful in this podcast, but um, it is I'm officially putting it down in a book. So that's exciting but scary. <laughs> um, scary because uh you know i've been talking about it and when you're talking the words just disappear into thin air yes (laughs) (laughs) when you write it into a book it doesn't disappear so i have to uh, be really um not careful but really think through what i'm putting down and make sure that it is what i want to say so yeah it's taking me uh, a lot of uh, time, effort, and brain space. Um, as I said to I'm you sure. before, mm-hmm. there's lots of things that, as I'm writing, there's lots of times that I find it really enjoyable. But there's lots of times when I go, "Oh my God, this is so hard. Why am I doing this? <laughs> what possessed me?" No, oh, exactly. And I'd walk away and I'd, I'd think about it and go, oh, my God, why am I doing this? I, I, <laughs> I wish I was finished. But um, yeah, no, I'm. I'm on the whole, I'm still excited about it. I, I already have um, organised a book launch date and everything, which is really weird because I haven't even finished. Oh, <laughs> so it'll be November. November, um, okay. So, and yeah, and you settled on a title. Well. 
So, so the title is quietly powerful, and the subtitle I haven't quite settled on, but I think it'll be something like "How Your Quiet Nature Is Your Hidden Leadership Strength" or something along okay. those lines. Yeah. So it is very much about uh, helping quieter professionals to see the value of their quiet nature, but it's also about using the quiet nature in all of us yes. in our leadership. Because like we were saying before about burnout, you know, there's a cost in not accessing our quieter nature, regardless of the personality and, you know, type of person you are. There's also a, a real downside to not using our quiet nature in leadership because there's so oh. many things like even just a simple act of listening and taking people's ideas into account mm -hmm. that requires you to be a little quieter and, and if you don't access that there's so much downside to your leadership. Well so, and yeah. it means that probably that you're being domineering and not taking advantage or making the most of all the smart clever people around you. Mm, absolutely and and I'm sure you know that one person can't know everything so no, absolutely uh, and especially in this world where things are changing and there's so much disruption and you need all these great ideas, one person can't have it all. You just need to be able to rely on other people and and be able to come up with ideas together rather than on your mm, own. Absolutely. Megumi, I have so enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. As a sometimes rather loud extrovert, you have given me a huge amount to think about. I'm incredibly grateful. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I eagerly anticipate November when I can read Quietly Powerful. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Katie. I enjoyed it too. It's been fantastic. And thanks for listening to the Katie Talks podcast with me, Katie Bennett-Stenton. If you enjoyed this episode, please review me on iTunes to help others find this great content. I have some excellent thought leaders coming up in the series. Subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And I love feedback from listeners. You can find me at Katie B Marketing on Twitter or Katie Bennett-Stenton on LinkedIn.